I'm surprised to see this many people here today because we're talking about suffering today. You must not have read your emails. I thought, well, most churches you go to are never going to talk about suffering. But you know what? A lot of the human experience is suffering. It just is. There's a false teaching out there that if a person is serving the Lord and walking in faith and doing all the right things, that you'll never be sick, you'll never have pain, you'll never have suffering, and there's nothing farther from biblical truth. James, the brother of Jesus, said that when you encounter various trials, that's problems, they'll test you, handle them with joy. Amen. That means that we're going to endure suffering. It's part of what we go through. We've been looking at 1 Peter, and we are in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 today, verse 7, where we left off on Wednesday night. Uh-oh, that is the wrong. Uh, y'all have got, you got the wrong deal up there. Yeah, go, go to today's date. That's Wednesday's. But anyway, uh, no problem. We did all this before we had technology. Uh, I want to read 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. Aaron, I was trying to explain to him what I was trying to communicate this week. And Aaron said, wow. And he just quoted off, Paul says, he said, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're per persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. That is our situation, guys. We are hard-pressed on every side. Maybe we're not here politically, but we are in other ways. All right, we're perplexed. Things happen. You go, why is this happening to me? Why did this happen? And I think I've learned to say instead of why is this happening to me is why wouldn't this happen to me? I'm, I'm here on planet Earth. Amen? So if you have your Bible today, go ahead and open. Since it's not up there, I want you to, oh, there it is. Yeah. You guys are amazing, except it's not, it's on my screen here, but it's not up there yet. If you have a good old-fashioned paper Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and I'm going to read, but the end of all things is at hand. This is Peter talking. Therefore, be serious and watchful in, in your prayers. He's telling us what to do. He's telling us what to do when the end things are at hand. And above all things, listen, above everything. Have a fervent love for one another. Fervent love is an on-fire kind of love. For, a, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospita hospitable. There you go. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak of the oracle as the oracles of God, that's speakers of the Lord. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong glory and the dominion forever and ever. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their part, he is blasphemed, 
but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. And look who he lumps right in there with murderers and thieves, a busybody. Busybody in other people's matters. Boy, we may not have any murders or thieves in here, but occasionally I, maybe I'm a busybody when I shouldn't be. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that we would glean everything out of this word this morning that we're to glean, Lord, to show us the, the truths of your word, that we can understand how to handle suffering that comes into our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'll do this through the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On Wednesday night, we looked at the verses prior to this, and it said, when you engage in suffering, it gave instructions that we're to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. What a strange concept that was. We talked about our suffering together, and I said, let's don't have this become the Lonely Hearts Club band where we're each telling a story that sounds more horrible than the last person. And it wasn't. It was a beautiful time in the Lord, and we talked about having the mind of Christ, okay? And we talked about how uh, that when we have the mind of Christ, we begin to see things through God's perspective, that's what it means to have the mind of Christ, that you see things that maybe you wouldn't normally see, but see things the way that Jesus would, okay? We looked at a quote by C.S. Lewis. It's a, an amazing quote. Let me just put it up there. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. You, know, you see the sunset. You see the sunrise. It's like, oh, Lord, you're winking at me. You're whispering to me. God speaks to us in our consciences. I've told y'all he speaks to me and my conscience on board my zero-turn John Deere, okay? It says, but it is in our pains that he shouts to us. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Some of you all have heard this story. Many of you have not because you've come here. You're maybe newer to the grove, okay? But I want to tell you about one of the greatest pains that I ever experienced, it was when Sandy and I had created a business, and I apologize to those who have heard this, but somebody in here needs to hear this today because that's what God's impressed on my heart. We started a business, and uh, over time, the biggest pain that ever came to us was when there was a hostile takeover our, of our business. We literally were locked out of our business that, that we, with God's help, had created, and it was the most painful thing that I've ever experienced. The pain and the hurt and the betrayal were almost too much for me to handle. I felt like I was going crazy. I felt like I wanted to kill people. I felt like I, I didn't know what to do. I just began to pray and I prayed. We saw all of our plans for our future melt away. Did y'all hear that? All of our plans for our future. We saw the business disappearing that was supposed to, supposed to support us in our old age. Uh, the dividends that we would get as we, I guess, would just go across the world traveling. I don't know what. But we saw our plants melt away. We had spent 19 years together working with others that we had brought into the business, helping to build a great 
company with operations that were in Minnesota, Houston, and the country of Chile. That's about the time, Doug, I met you. Uh, I hadn't come through this stuff yet. When we were just about to become a major force in our little industry, greed took hold and our junior partners wanted it all. They wanted us out because if we were in, there wasn't enough for them to have everything. Y'all follow me? They forced us to sell out cheaply. They basically sat down and said, if you don't sell out to us cheaply, or they didn't say cheaply, but right now, at the price that we say, we're going to open up across the street from you and we're going to put you out of business. I was devastated. I first reacted in anger. I imagined myself doing things to them that I never had imagined. And I wondered and wondered how I could get back at people who had wounded me so deeply. That was my wound. It, it shattered me. Little by little over many years, I began to submit the wound to the sovereignty of God. I didn't in the beginning. I began to say, God, if you're trying to tell me something, please tell me. What I began was saying, Lord, go get them. Lord, go wipe them out. Lord, strike them with lightning. Uh, Lord, destroy the business plan. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. I had a lot of things that I was asking God to do. Margarita, you look like maybe you can relate to some of this. Slowly but surely, I was so miserable. I laid in the floor of my home face down, uh, prostrate before the Lord, and I said, God, just save my name, and Lord, help me from going bankrupt. I stopped trying to tell God what his plans for my life were, and I began to listen. Y'all hear that? Because when we're in suffering, we all, always say, Lord, I need you to do this. Lord, do this. Lord, do this. Lord, do this. I'm suffering, Lord. You're not hearing. Lord, do this. And conversation is a two-way thing. The Lord needed me to shut up and listen what he had for my life. Slowly, I began to listen. It wasn't until I took the mind of Christ that I began to have peace. I remember it was 10 years, 10 years of my life. Not were, weren't robbed, but Michael knew me then and Scott, and they probably didn't understand some of my complexities and some of my insecurities and some of my attitudes. Maybe, maybe Michael did. He was a clinician. But he can tell you, Faber was so different when he got here. It's because I had a horrible, deep wound. I had come to the point, Pastor Larry, where I just felt like I wasn't good enough. I had been so stupid that I had created this wonderful company, I, right? And then it was I was to so stupid that I didn't know how to hold it all together. That's what happened. I began to listen, and it wasn't until I took on the mind of Jesus that I had peace. It means I started to see things from God's perspective, all right? Verse 7 says to be serious and watchful in your prayers. As I said, prayer is a two-way communication. If your prayers are spent telling God all of your blues and all of your problems, then you're not listening. You're just not. You're so preoccupied with you talking that you're not listening to him. Do you see what was happening? God was trying to set me free. I was on a squirrel cage or whatever you call it, the deal the gerbil runs on. In my life, I had to drive an hour to work and an hour from work. All right, I had no spare time. Every bit of time that I had was consumed with trying to make money to afford to have my kids in a private school 
and to uh, pay the taxes on my house, which 25 years ago were like $1,500 a month. I can't imagine what they would be now, all right? God was trying to set me free, and I was screaming and crying and saying, Lord, what are you doing to me? You're hurting me. And he, and he just thought, I've got a better plan for you. I began to become serious and watchful in my prayers. I got serious. It started off with me saying, God, I need a solution for my hurt. And God said, I am trying to give you a solution. Stop kicking. In my trials, God was trying to set me free. And I never realized that. That's, you know why? Because I didn't have the mind of Christ. If I had been operating in the mind of Christ, I would have thought, okay, Lord, this isn't what you want for me. You don't want me to live in a 4,300 square foot house that I can barely afford the taxes on. You want to set me free, all right? And so he moved me to a 900 square foot house that some of y'all have spent the night in arena called Pleasant Hill over there. And there we were. And not only that, he brought a young niece that moved in with us. So I had four teenagers and a wife, and we lived in a 900 square foot house. People say, well, I bet that was the best time of your life. Let me tell you, the day that our new house was finished, we were glad to move. It was sweet because we were right where God wanted us to be. That was the sweet thing about it. And he goes on and he says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. Fervent love means fellowship. It is us being engaged in each other's life. It is, Lynn, you and I doing business together the way that we do and loving each other and giving each other mercy, okay? And some of the others, Aaron, you and I working side by side. Isolation is bad, guys. When you are suffering, do not try to do it alone. Isolation is the tool that Satan uses to assassinate you. He isolates you so he can assassinate you. When you're hurting, say, I don't want, you know, we're, we're, we tend to say, and I'm not going to look at a person in here that says this to me, I don't want to bother you with my problems. You know what? The Bible tells you to bother me with your problems. All right? Tells me to bother you with my problems. So we can lift one another up. That is part of the antidote to suffering. It's fellowship. And the reason fellowship can be so wonderful is because fellowship with the right people steers you back to the truths of God's Word. That's the beauty of it. When I'm going through what I'm going through, and you come to me and you say, His grace is sufficient. You know, and you, and you quote God's Word to me, that is far more than you just giving me your own reassuring words. That's why he says, have a burning love one for another. He was talking to people suffering. He was talking to people probably that didn't have enough to eat. And he was saying, you know what? Take the little bit that you have to eat and you share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he was talking to people that if they had harbored someone, excuse me, in their home, it meant that they might get arrested the next day. That it's so curious that Peter uses this antidote of fellowship to overcome suffering. I was just thinking about the suffering they went through as they had tar thrown on them. And they were lit on fire and the, the, the skies of Rome lit up with the bodies of our brothers and sisters who went before us. It goes on to say that love covers a multitude of sins. So I think the way that I would interpret that as when you're persecuted, it's easy to hate the persecutor. When we were wronged, it was easy to feel hatred towards the person that had done us wrong. But when we began to forgive them, all right, 
when we, they didn't ever, they didn't care if we were forgiving them because they didn't think they had done anything wrong, right? But when we begin to forgive others, God sets us free. So if you've suffered a wound by someone that's so deep, you can't hardly even breathe when you think about it. Say, Lord, give me the strength to forgive them. You say, Pastor, there's no way I can forgive them for what they did to me. I can't do it. And I'm going to say, I agree, you cannot. But the Holy Spirit that dwells within you can do that. It can empower you to forgive and you will be set free. I mean, I was set free when I finally got rid of that. It reminds me right now of a time when Kat kept having these terrible bad dreams about it. She said, Dad, this monster that's like a big lizard's trying to get me. And I said, I understand, sweetie, that same monster tried to get me. I said, you go draw that monster, and you draw it the best way you can. I want you to draw exactly what it looks like. She drew it all out, and then we went over to the fireplace, and I lit it on fire, and we held hands, and we prayed. And I said, Lord, take that monster now out of her mind, just like you're taking it up this chimney. And she never had a bad dream again about a monster. All right? That's because she just let it go to God. It wasn't that she burned it up and sent it up, but she said, Lord, take that monster. I don't want to see it again. When I suffered that great wound, it was when I began to forgive, and I said, God, you know better. And that's when my healing, that's when my wound was covered. Not only was it covered, it was healed. I don't want to be partners with those people, but it's healed. There's no festering wound there that's, that's creating a problem. And then he goes on, uh, or this reminded me of the verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, that says, love keeps no records of wrongs. Love doesn't keep tit for tat. Love doesn't keep a scorecard. Love doesn't keep a list going of what I owe you and you owe me. Amen? We're to love people, and never do we love where we're expecting something back. That's not love. That's a deal. You're trying to make a business deal. And some of us don't understand that. We go and go, you did so much for that person, and look, they're doing nothing for you. Well, were you doing it to get something? If you were, then it wasn't real love. It was a business deal, right? Forgiveness doesn't keep a score. Forgiveness never looks for payback. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As I said, they were enduring great suffering. And yet he tells them to be hospitable to one another. Cook for one another. Care for one another. Offer to come over, as Sherry did, and to wipe my tears or to help me get to the bathroom or whatever it is that we need to do. That is how we love one another. Jesus said by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have your doctrine straight. No, if you have love one for another, that's the, that is the test. Loving people, I'm here to tell you all, is never convenient. Just when you think, man, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to love someone, you're, I guarantee you, you're going to get right into something that you love doing, and you've waited weeks to do it, and you're there and you're just about to do it, and the phone's going to ring, right? And someone's going to need you, and the Holy Spirit, to come fix a flat tire. It's not always to come over and help me get saved. It's usually something like a flat tire or a cow got out or I ran out of gas. Uh, you think, well, why didn't you get more gas? You think of all these things. Love is never convenient. We have to practice hosp- hospitality because hospitality is not natural. Natural is me, 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 right? Hospitality says you, you, and you. That's what hospitality says. We're to practice it, and it starts not just with our own families, but Paul tells us that it starts with the household of faith. So, yes, I'm to 
I am to uh, be good to my household, but also to the household of faith around me. That's us as brothers and sisters. He's talking to a group of Christians here. And we're told that hospitality will be rewarded. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 10, 42. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards. I love this. Of the manifold grace of God, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Does that say in here that only certain people have gifts? Does it? No. It says, as each of you has received a gift, minister it to one another. (coughs) As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So what is he saying here? He's saying, do good even to those who can't pay you back. That's Luke 14, 12. No deal making, no paybacks. Your bundle of gifts is to be shared. Larry, Pastor Larry has an amazing, odd bundle of gifts. He can take a broken air conditioner and make it come back to life, even though sometimes he releases $500 of Freon into the atmosphere. He confessed that to me the other day. Larry can get down under your car and put an air air conditioning compressor when a kid that's 19 can't do it. I mean, Rick, I'm not taking anything away from you, but this guy is like a contortion artist when he does this stuff. He has this amazing set of skills. And is that to run around and fix people's stuff? No. God gave him that set of gifts to get near to the heart of the people unto whom he's to minister. It's just an opening for Larry to get near to someone's heart, to really hear their heart, to pastor them in the way that God called him to be a pastor. Pastor Michael had a big clinic. Pastor Michael is a clinician, a Christian clinician. That means he listens to people that have problems and tries to sort them out and help them, okay? He did it for money before. It is part of Michael's bag of talents and treasures that God put into his hand to use all of his time, talent, and treasures, not to go and be their professional counselor and to take money anymore, but to help him get near to their hearts to pastor to them. He's a pastor. That's what he's called to do. God just gave him a different toolkit than he gave me. God gave me a toolkit that includes law. Some of you, many of you, have come to me and you have a legal question. I don't separate that out. That's part of this. I'm not going to represent you, but it's part of this bag of tools that God gives me to get near to somebody's heart to really get to the real heart of the matter, which isn't their legal problem, but their relationship with him. So I've used us in an example, but this says that everybody has a tool bag. Everybody does. I don't know what your tool bag is, but you got a bag of tools. I'm not even going to call them a bag of tricks. They're not tricks. They're tools that you have. And Peter says, use that bag of tools to minister to one another and to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Handle it correctly. If anyone speaks, let him speak as an oracle of God. If one ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies, so that in all things God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Y'all, this is the most gifted group of people I've ever been around. 
I'm amazed. Some of you write poetry that makes me weep, makes me want to hold a flower and watch a butterfly, okay? And other of you uh, act ornery. I'm not going to mention Don Bell. I wouldn't do that. But it's Don's way of telling me he loves me. And then there's Mike Devonport. Mike Devonport can make me feel like I'm three feet taller than I am. That's pretty tall. Because Mike has a gift of exhortation. Wouldn't you agree, Audrey? He has a gift of affirmation. All right? Sue gives me a gift of calmness, and so does Karen. I told Sandy, I said, I can't wait for Karen to get back. I feel like my, my ground's shaky under me. All right? That's because you're using the gifts that God gives you. I'm not bringing glory to Karen over this or Sue. Giving glory to God for ministering to me with certain things that I need in, in my role as pastor. Amen? So use your gift, okay? It's a starting point. And remember, it'll be your time, your talent, and your treasure. Verse th- 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. He's saying, don't be shocked when you start suffering, because this is coming to you as a believer, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice and be glad with exceeding joy. Out of those couple of verses, what I get is the Lord wants our suffering to go from the point of suffering to somehow the point of joy to saying, Lord, I know you love me. Lord, I know you care for me. Lord, I know I have these problems in my body. Lord, because I'm on a broken world, but Lord, I choose to believe that you're good. When I went to seminary, I thought I was going to find out why is it that people suffer? Why do good people suffer? I went to find those things out. They had no answers. They had no answers, but I left saying, I am going to choose to believe that God is good. So when I'm stricken with some kind of an illness, I don't fret over it. You know, why me, God? Why me? Why not me? Because I live on planet Earth, amen? And I'm told that I will have whatever I need in strength from the Lord to get through whatever it is that he would have me, have me happen, happen to me. And also, I know that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Settle that in your mind and stop being surprised when you encounter suffering. Suffering, believe it or not, is the rule. It's not the exception. It really is. Isn't that a strange thing? Yeah, oh, Lord, yeah, help me, help me. I'm suffering again. Believers are not exempt from pain, trials, and sufferings. Holiness comes from not coming from our suffering. Some people believe if you really suffer, then you're getting holy. No, you're not. You're just suffering, all right? But holiness comes from leaning on the Lord through your suffering, saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this situation that I am. I've never been this old. I've never been this sick. I've never been this feeble. I've never been this fill in the blank. I've never been this broke. I've never been this poor. The drought's never been this bad. Lord, I am going to lean on you through my suffering, and there is holiness in that. That means set apartness. There is power. There is strength in that. Jesus is our example. Did Jesus go willingly to the cross? Kind of a trick question, isn't it? I don't want Dr. House answering. Did he have a little bit of problem getting there? He did. Remember what he prayed that night in the Garden of Gethsemane? It says he wept. All right, and didn't it say that he sweat drops of blood? That's, that's what we would call in law in extremis, right? I mean, that's pretty bad. And he says, Lord, take this cup from me. 
And then his mind changed, and he took on that mind of Christ, and he says, not thy will, not my will, but thine. And that's where we need to be in our suffering, not my will, but thine. 14 and 15, this is going to be funny here, but let none of you suffer as murderers. I don't want anyone in here suffering because you've gone out and murdered somebody. That's what Peter's saying. Or because you're a thief and you've been arrested. Or even an evildoer. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. I think it's so curious that Peter sticks busybody in with being a murderer and a thief. What he's telling you is you can bring a lot of suffering into your life by being a blabbermouth. And by poking your nose in other people's business. Can y'all amen that? It can get you fired. It can get you run off. It can have every, it, you'll lose your self-respect. Others will lose their respect for you if you're a busybody. And Peter's saying, don't, don't suffer because you're a busybody or a thief or a murderer or an evildoer. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. He said, there is no eternal merit if you're suffering because you're a busybody. That's what he's saying. Or if you're suffering because you're a thief or you're a murderer. He says, but there is eternal merit if you're suffering in a way that glorifies God in the matter. I put here, don't poke your nose into the business of others. It'll get you alienated, fired, loss of respect. If something is none of your business, you know what? Just keep it that way. Some of y'all will come to me and go, what do you think about all so-and-so? I said, man, I have trouble taking care of my own business. I don't, you've heard me say that, Aaron. People, he'll hear when he's working with me. Someone will say, well, what about blah, blah, blah? I said, man, I can't even take care of my own stuff. Just look after your own stuff. Verses 16 through 19, a little word about judgment. Um, he talks about the same assurances of concerning suffering for the Lord. And then he says this thing, judgment begins at the household of faith. And I thought about that. We're not judged as to salvation. Jesus took our judgment. He took that when he went on the cross. We were declared righteous before the Father, amen, in the blood of Christ. But the judgment that we go through is the pruning that goes on out in the vineyard where stuff gets cut off, the things in our lives that are not Christ-like. That's part of what suffering does. It burns off the stuff that's not supposed to be there. If, if Scott were here today, he's down in Del Rio putting a roof on a big deer camp, he would say, it all burns. Y'all can hear Scott, it all burns. Well, it does. It burns off. And God uses the suffering in our lives to help burn off the things that don't look like him so that what's left is pure and refined. And Devin, I want you to quote the verse about refined. Do it loud, please. Isaiah 48.10, I have chosen thee from the furnace of affliction. We are in a furnace of affliction that happens to have to do with being on planet earth. We are all intended to live forever, but we're not intended to live forever on this planet. All right. It's a broken place with illness and, and woe and, and problems. And Peter is saying, don't worry about that. Submit your suffering to the sovereignty of God. I want to tell you all, this is very little suffering that I've had in my illness. I've been losing my voice for a while and my breath, and I've commented to you all about it. And I thought, God, what's wrong with me? You know, what's wrong with me? But I've had many unbelievers be real concerned and talk to me and go, well, what are you thinking right now? And I'm saying, you know what, Joe, a long time ago, Faber McMullen submitted himself to the sovereignty of God. And I've had a few say, man, I wish I could do that. And I say, you can. 
You can. You can give up on you today. You can come to the end of yourself. What a great opportunity for testimony, y'all, when we go through the sufferings of life. You can say, I choose to believe that God is good, and, and I know that he's good, and I choose to submit myself to the sovereignty and the authority of God. And then he says, believe that God is good, and he is our, and Peter ends saying, our faithful creator. So how in the world can we make it through all of this? Well, Aaron, you told me in the barn. He said, Pastor, that reminds me of this. We are hard-pressed on every side. And I'm embarrassed to say, y'all, I've sung that song we sang this morning maybe 500 times, and I never even knew it was Scripture. Isn't that crazy? You'd think I'd know it all, wouldn't you, Pastor Larry? But I don't. We are hard-pressed on every side. I can just hear people saying, all this modern music, if they'd sing something that's Scripture, that is Scripture. If we are hard-pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. You may be hard-pressed on the right. You may be hard-pressed on the left. You may be hard-pressed financially. You may be hard-pressed emotionally. You may be hard-pressed with your health, but you are not crushed. And you know why you're not crushed? Because the Bible tells me so. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Can you all imagine how perplexed Sandy and I were when that happened to us? We just thought, how could this be? How could something that we felt the Lord leading us in to create could end up being the greatest pain in our lives? In the depths of all that, we didn't despair. All right, we were perplexed, but we didn't despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Think of the believers who have been persecuted down through the ages. I looked at Wikipedia to try to summarize it for y'all on Wednesday night. I just thought it is so overwhelming. I can't summarize the suffering of the saints. It's impossible. Christians have suffered so much, but he says, even when you're persecuted, I will not forsake you. The word says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We're struck down but we're not destroyed. We may get beat down. We may find ourselves on the floor, but I'm here today to tell you have hope in the Lord, believe that God is good, and go to Philippians 4.13 and claim this promise that we can endure all things through Christ who strengthens us. I want to hear another amen. amen. Guys, that is God's word. It is true. It is proven. And that is how we handle suffering. We handle suffering, submitting ourselves to the sovereignty of God and knowing that I can do any and all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have nothing else to add to that. That says it all. The Lord said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Amen. I'm going to ask uh, 